So a lot of times when I connect with organizations, they're feeling all over the place. They're feeling unanchored. They're just feeling like they are going in all these different directions. I had one CEO who said it so brilliantly. He said, it's like we're all running at 3,000 miles an hour in vaguely the same direction without a finish line in sight. Oh, yes. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Falska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. I cannot put into words how truly excited I am to have Miss Lois Weinblatt as my very first guest. Lois is the founder of True North Visionaries, a consultancy that helps leaders struggling with clarity stop wasting time and start making better decisions faster. She is a vision coach, a facilitator, a speaker, and one of the most brilliant people I personally have the pleasure of knowing and calling a dear friend. Lois, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. I'm so excited to be here. Recording this podcast and thinking about how we met, it just really is crazy to me how kind of full circle this moment is because we met, I was working at a co-working space in San Diego and Lois was doing a seminar, like an over lunchtime seminar for anyone who was in the co-working space on company vision. And I had this moment where it was like a busy day and I was like, do I even go? Like, that's kind of part of what I do. So like, am I going to learn anything? Should I just skip it? And I didn't. And can I just say, best life choice I have ever made (laughs) that I went into that lunchtime seminar, not only because I left with truly an entirely changed perspective on what company vision is for the better, but I also got a best friend out of it. Talk about a sliding door moment there. Absolutely. Absolutely for me too. I love it. Let's talk about company vision. That's what we're here to talk about today. And the way that vision shows up in a lot of companies is usually more of a marketing play. And I'm going to offend some people right now by saying that. And I know, and I hesitated when I said it, but you know, it can oftentimes be a marketing activity that happens in a leadership offsite. It's a one or two sentence sort of description of why the company exists. And it doesn't really see a lot of light of day. Like maybe it's like on a plaque somewhere in a waiting room or it's in like a PowerPoint that like gets shown once a year at the annual company event. It's not a living, breathing document in most companies. And that is so different from how you see vision and how you work on vision. So how is the work you do with vision different from just a one or two sentence descriptor that doesn't really live day to day. Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest distinctions is when I think about what vision really means, it's our definition of success at a specific point in the future. So as a company, what is the way that we define success? What does success actually mean to us? 
And not just what does success mean to us, but at a very specific point in the future. And when I say specific, I'm talking like a specific day of a specific month of a specific year specific. So if I work with a company who has a five-year vision, it might be December 31st of that five years in the future or three years in the future, whatever it might be for them. And so those two pieces are really critical. The first one being our definition of success, because so often in a company, we talk about goals and KPIs and milestones and OKRs and all these different things. And so maybe that could be how we define success. But really, at the end of the day, it doesn't give us a shared understanding of what that actually means. How are we actually going to know we've gotten to where we wanted to go at that specific point in the future? And it's not about our competitor's definition of success or other people's definition of success or how we may have defined success very early on in our company or how we may define success 10 years or 20 years from now in our company. It's what is our definition of success for this next chapter, right? Again, maybe a three-year chapter, five-year chapter, one-year chapter, whatever it is, it's really sort of creating that time box around a definition of success and really getting everyone to ask and answer and have great juicy discussion and debate around that topic, around that question answer that question, really flesh out that question, and then be able to, like you said, utilize it as something that's a living, breathing part of how the company operates every day. The other piece is that, like you said, so often, you know, you go on a company website and they have a mission and it, it sounds really great. It's, you know, I often think about like, you know, the, the magnetic poetry. I always wonder like, did they maybe just get like a magnetic poetry of business buzzwords and shuffle them around at an offsite and then just like put them on a magnetic thing and like, here's the mission and here's the vision. And oftentimes when I see those, the biggest thing I notice is that the vision is again, just like you said, maybe one or two sentences long, and it almost never has a specific point in the future. So it's still very aspirational. And in my mind, and again, everyone defines mission and vision differently. All those definitions are valid, but the way I think about it, the mission is more of that aspirational, something that we're never actually going to get to, but something that always you know, pulls us forward. The vision is actually that destination that we very literally are working towards. We will absolutely get there. Then we will kind of take stock and create our next vision. So rather than just being a sentence or two that doesn't give us a ton to kind of make decisions with, it's more of a really fleshed out narrative that helps us, again, paints the picture of, of what that definition of success looks like and the evidence that we've gotten to where we want it to go. Yeah. I mean, I just want to reflect on your very astute point that so many people have different definitions of what mission and vision really mean. It is something that I think changes from company to company. I think it's really important that you sort of noted, like it doesn't mean that it's wrong, but this is really your definition of vision. And it's the one that I have adapted since meeting you, since hearing this. It's what I've done with the last company where I was director of people and culture. It's something that has made a tangible impact for me as something to me that feels like a rallying cry more than any other vision I've ever been able to experience. But when I first met you and was first in that seminar, one of the things that really clicked in my head about this whole concept was your idea of visioning and also this concept of a map and how this vision becomes sort of a map. So can you share a little bit about that piece of it? Oh, yes. So many map analogies. I love that you went there. So there's a few different pieces. One is like we talked about that idea of, of something very aspirational, kind of like a North Star that, that guides you forward. That's what I think of as the mission. Then that vision is that 
literal destination. If the mission is why we're even going on this journey, then the vision is where we're going, when we're going to get there, and what it's going to look like when we arrive. And then that how we are actually going to freaking get there is the roadmap or the strategic plan or whatever the company, you know, the language that they use around that. So there's a few other different pieces that I think are kind of critical there. One is that once we have the vision in place, then it becomes something that we can navigate with because it sort of gives us that very specific point and it's not a moving target. So a lot of times when I connect with organizations, they're feeling all over the place. They're feeling unanchored. They're just feeling like they are going in all these different directions. I had one CEO who said it so brilliantly, and Jill, I have no doubt that this will resonate with you from all the companies you've worked at and been part of. He said, it's like we're all running at 3,000 miles an hour in vaguely the same direction without a finish line in sight. Oh, yes. Right? Yes, that, yes. This is the finish line. And it's not just vaguely running in the same direction. It is literally running in the same direction because the roadmap to get where we want to go, the roadmap or the strategic plan to, to make our vision a reality is going to change time and time again, as it should. We need to build in flexibility. We need to be able to pivot all those different pieces. If we know that our roadmap, our plan is going to change time and time again, but then our vision is also changing time and time again, then there's literally no way you can navigate if both of those things are always in flux. What happens when you really clarify and define, articulate, communicate the vision for your organization, then again, the vision is the moving target and you can really change and pivot how you're going to get there, but you're able to keep on feeling like you kind of have that GPS, you just need to recalibrate along the way, right? But your GPS is able to function because you put in that destination. That's the only way it can work. That's what the vision is all about. Yeah, that is the piece that resonated with me. You were describing basically a vision is like putting a GPS destination in. So if, if my vision is target and I put target into my GPS and I take four wrong turns, like I'm personally bound to do, the GPS is going to redirect me because it knows where my final destination is. And that's really what a vision is for companies. It's a finish line, a final destination, a place that they are headed, where if they take the wrong turn or the market goes awire or COVID hits, they can still adjust and change their plans and change their strategy. But at the end of the day, the entire team goes, nope, that's where we're headed. It's powerful. It's so powerful. And there's organizations that I worked with, you know, people during COVID would say, oh my gosh, you know, the companies that you worked with, do they have to rewrite their vision? Do they have to change their vision? And the companies that I worked with, they didn't change a single word in their vision. We documented these visions before anyone had any idea that COVID was going to hit. So for people to recognize that your vision builds in space, it creates space for us to have a really clear understanding of where we're headed. So it's not so rigid that it puts us in a box or closes us off from anything. And I think that's a relief to hear for a lot of people who feel like, oh, I don't want to like get so specific. Then, you know, you're going to stifle my creativity and you're going to stifle my team and you're going to stifle innovation and all that. It's not about that at all. It's when we have that clarity and we leave room for all the evolution and change that's going to come our way, then we have something that's sort of flexible enough to allow us to make changes as needed, again, without just throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, you know, never mind, let's just scrap all of that. It sort of gives everyone this sense of security and confidence that in the midst of all this uncertainty, what is not uncertain is where we're headed, when we're going to get there, what it's going to look like when we arrive. 
it was really a powerful thing for our team. And, you know, even pre-pandemic, we were fully remote. That was the type of structure that we'd set up. And so I think, especially as a remote company, it really was kind of like a common ground for everybody that everybody could kind of attach to, even though we weren't working in the same physical location. So as people are navigating this return to whether they're deciding to stay fully remote, whether they're going hybrid, or maybe you're going all the way back to the office, although I don't think that's going to be very common (laughs) moving forward. I think there's a big value in having something like this that can be a unifier without having to say, oh, we're all in the same office sitting next to each other. We're having these discussions every day. No, this is a document. It lives. Everybody can access it from the internet. And it just, for me, feels like such an important unifier always, but especially right now for teams. Most definitely. I think the other piece of that is in order to really keep the vision alive, like you said, the last thing we ever want and what we've seen so often in sort of more traditional settings is, you know, yeah, you do the offsite, you get the magnetic poetry buzzword thing going on, right? And then you have this vision and and it does, it just kind of sits there and it gathers dust and no one ever really does anything with it. And so the way, you know, when CEOs and their leadership teams ask, okay, so how do we really, you know, activate this thing? Of course, we, we do the full rollout to the team, but that absolutely is just the beginning. The way that it truly, truly becomes a living, breathing part of an organization is that the leadership team is constantly and consistently reinforcing and reinforcing and reinforcing every company meeting, every all hands, every announcement, every point of recognition for somebody on the team is an opportunity to come back to the vision. So I can't tell you how many team meetings I've helped facilitate or come in and done sort of a quarterly recalibration or whatever. And the leadership team is part of their vernacular as they're talking about their metrics and KPIs and OKRs is this really leads back to the vision or this part of the vision talks about this. And it's not like we have to like, wait, Hey, can you send in Slack? Can you send the vision? Like, oh, I haven't looked at it. You know, it's just, it's so part of how we make decisions and how we think about things every day that yes, you're not going to memorize the whole vision and that's not the point, but the really salient themes and ideas and milestones and markers in that vision are things that are just ingrained in people because it becomes part of what we're doing every day and such a critical piece of literally how we make decisions, not just at the leadership team level, but all throughout the company. Yes. Thank you for that reminder, too, as I talk about this document that lives on the Internet. I've had the opportunity to, you know, go through this process with you. You did this with my team. I've had this opportunity to do this individually for myself with you. For me, at least, I'm super visual and we're not sitting here reading out a finished vision. We're not showing people what that looks like. Could you guide us through what a vision really looks like? Completely. And I love that question because what is so important and why I love that you're making this topic front and center and all the work that you do or helping people understand all these big concepts within culture is because so many of these concepts can feel so nebulous. So I think it's so, so important. And the work that you're doing through this podcast is to, okay, how do we actually take these things from being really big and nebulous and like everyone tells you how important it is and then no one tells you what it really is or how to do it to really, okay, let's get on a brass tacks. What does this actually look like? So just love that you're going there with this. So there's a few different elements. One, for a really effective vision, I always recommend, you know, that vision is written in the present tense like it has already happened. So for instance, my own personal vision is for June 1st, 2022, right? It's a five-year vision. I wrote it five years ago and I wrote it on June 1st, 2022, five years ago. So again, it's really sort of, as I wrote it, I wrote it like it was the cumulative evidence that I had accomplished everything that I wanted to accomplish, right? It was the sort of final iteration of all these things coming to be. Now, 
that comes with the full understanding that I didn't achieve all of those things in the first year after writing my vision, nor the second, nor the third, right? It takes time, right? So it's it's just sort of when that, when all of it comes to pass, comes to be, that's what it's going to look like. So when we write it in the present tense, we are essentially creating sort of a memory of the future. And that can sound really oxymoronic, but that's what it's really all about. It's this ability to kind of drop ourselves in and just ask ourselves that really exciting, sometimes scary question. But if I looked around me, and went through a day on June 21st, 2022, or whatever it might be, you know, in my office, what would I see and feel around me to let me know that we had really gotten to where I wanted to go? And I always challenge, you know, a CEO or leadership team, if they're saying, you know, we just really we want to be a positive place. And I'm like, that's awesome. But if I came in to the office without you just coming out and being like, hey, Lois, we're super positive. How would I know? Right? How would I know? That's what we want to get into. So written in the present tense, and it's to create that sort of immediacy, that ability to really feel like, oh, I can completely imagine us here. You know, you've written a really solid vision when everyone around the going around the table and reading it on the team is like, oh, this is giving me butterflies in my stomach. This is exciting. I have no clue how we're going to do some of this, but I know we can. And this sounds like us. I can totally imagine three years from now, or again, whatever the timeline is, getting there and being able to read this and having it all be true. So that's one of the important pieces. We, we write it in the present tense like it's already happened. And that also keeps us grounded and making sure that we're not writing a dream. We're not writing a fantasy. We are writing a vision. And that's really critical, especially, you know, the buzzwords about BHAGs and, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. And there are some companies that, that I come in and they say, you know, we had this goal for 22, whatever in 2022. And it's, they kind of molded the BHAG to kind of fit and, and be catchy. And no one in the entire team ever believed that it could happen. So it just kind of undermined the whole thing. So again, when you're working on that vision, you want to make sure that it's really kind of at the intersection of both really inspiring and also strategically sound. Because again, the idea isn't that, oh, wouldn't this be great? This is fantasy land. This is like, no, no, no. Like this is literally what we're creating. And we got to work every day. We got to be intentional. We got to be proactive to make it happen. It's not a magic pillar or silver bullet, but this is very, a very literal look at what we are creating. So those are a few of the different elements. The other element, you know, it's absolutely got to be documented. It's got to be written down. So it's not just floating around in the leader's head or the leadership team's head. And so often I actually talk with founders or CEOs who say, I don't know if I can go one more day with all of these thoughts and ideas literally bursting at the seams of my brain. And I can't get where I need to go unless I'm able to download all of that, not just in a conversation here and there, not just in a Slack message, not just in a two-hour Zoom offsite, but like really get it out of my head into words, onto paper in a way that other people can truly understand it and then internalize it. So it's got to be documented. It's got to be shared. It's got to be shared internally with the entire team. And then there's so many amazing ways you can leverage it to share it externally. So, you know, with stakeholders, with potential clients, et cetera. That's great. The part that resonated most with me is once we had our vision and I got to talk to new team members. So anytime a new team member came on, one of the first calls they would have in their first week of working at the company was to sit down with me and to read the vision together and to ask and answer any questions. And like, I cannot tell you 
every time I left that call, it was like people were like, I've never had anything like this coming into a company. And like how incredibly awesome that I can see. It's so clearly articulated like where we're going and it helps me know why my work matters. Like they didn't usually say that last part. That was me adding <laughs> subtext. But it was such a great feeling to sit down. So yes, so that shared vision of where we're going, not just in the CEO's head, not just floating around in Slack messages. It was such a powerful thing. Does Lois have you all fired up about creating a new vision for your organization? While you can and absolutely should work with her directly to do just that, this show is all about providing DIY steps that allow you to do the work yourself. So for the first time ever, Lois has built and is providing a guide to do just that, an exclusive resource created just for listeners of the podcast. Head to wanttoworkthere.com backslash resources to download your very own step-by-step guide to creating your own MVV or minimum viable vision. The resource is absolutely free and will give you everything you need to create an MVV for your organization. Again, you can find it at wanttoworkthere.com backslash resources. All right, now back to the show. So... The other piece, if you're listening to this and thinking, okay, how else am I going to know? I have a really, you know, I put together a really solid vision. Typically, again, just for kind of brass tacks, typically when I work with an organization on a vision, it's about three pages long. And you might be listening to that and be like, three, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) Three pages? Right. So don't feel like it has to be three. What I mean by that is I also have come into companies where they say, oh yeah, like we have this 10 page thing and it's like this masterpiece of writing, but it's almost too much for people to grasp. So I always say just kind of a max, like the outside edge is that three page, but it could be two paragraphs. It could be a page. You know, again, don't feel like that's a how much it has to be. But beyond that, it can feel pretty overwhelming for people. That's usually the length we're talking about. And then I usually recommend splitting it up into what I think of as three facets or three pillars of the vision. So oftentimes it's our overall growth, it's our culture, and it's our products and services, you know, whatever that may be. And so it just kind of helps us bucket. Okay. When we're talking about, we wanted to, again, like, how are we going to know it feels positive? Okay. Rather than just having a stream of consciousness narrative, we can put that in the culture section. And then, okay. When we're talking about our numbers that can go in the growth section. So it just kind of helps us organize our thoughts when people read it and digest it, that helps them as you're writing it or working on it, that really can help you. And then it's really helpful too, when you're working backwards in that vision to create the roadmap, the plan, the strategic plan steps or whatever that might be for you guys. Then again, it allows you to say, okay, for this culture section, what are we doing to move towards that? For this growth section, what are we doing to move towards that? So that's another piece that can be helpful just again, to take it from feeling like something that's very nebulous to, oh, okay, I can start to kind of see a structure on this. The last piece that I want to bring up is what I call extreme specificity plus intentional vagueness. So Extreme specificity and intentional vagueness is the art and the heart of visioning because, again, it's it's what allows a vision to grow and evolve with you. It's what ensures that a vision is always going to open you up. It's never going to close you off. It's never going to box you in, right? It's always going to help you evolve into what is next for the company. So to give you an example of that, and I'm just trying to think of one of the latest visions that I've worked on with the company, there were different pieces that they felt were absolute non-negotiables for them. There was a number, one of their metrics that was an absolute, no matter what, this is the number. And it was an incredibly exciting number for them. And 
it was extremely specific. I mean, we wrote it out and it showed up maybe three or four times in that vision. I mean, we talked about it and everyone reading it, it was, you know, within the first sentence, you saw it and then you saw it reiterated a few other times. Then there were other things that they realized if their employee count for some companies, they want to get really specific for them. They actually were like, you know what? We're really not at a point to know exactly. And part of what we want to do is really be pretty lean. So we don't necessarily want the number to be way bigger. That actually might be the opposite of our definition of success. So let's keep that intentionally vague. And rather than saying a number, let's say we really have the team. We're right-sized. Our team is right-sized for the work that we do. That's beautiful, intentional vagueness for that company because it's, again, intentional. They're really thinking through what is important for us to, again, make decisions by and to always kind of use as our check on ourselves to say, whoa, 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 we just got super excited about hiring all these people, but hold on a sec, let's tap the brakes. Is this still right size or are we just maybe going over over the top here? So another company might say, nope, we know exactly the number of employees we need to hit to be able to do X, Y, Z. They might be extremely specific about that number. And they may be intentionally vague about another metric or another milestone in their vision. So that's something that is really unique to every organization, but it's a really fascinating conversation and one that brings up so much interesting conversation and debate because sometimes as we're deciding, do we want to be extremely specific or intentionally vague? It brings up, wait, 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 guys, I thought this and I thought that. And it's perfect. That's exactly what we want to happen. We want to be able to say, not just we're making this specific or vague, but why? And there's a very strategic reason why we're doing one or the other. It's important. Now, when I write goals, (laughs) I always write my numbers as at least this or as that intentional vagueness that you taught me because it is it's you are building towards something and you're leaving space for more or for better things. Absolutely. And that's something too I will challenge companies on if they've always kind of done BHAGs or they talk about some huge revenue number or profit percent or whatever it might be for them. And I look at them in the eye and I'm like, okay, cool, bro. But I mean, this is literally where we are headed. You are saying I'm putting all of you guys on a cruise ship. This is exactly where we're headed. This is what the palm trees are going to look like. And this is how many palm trees there will be. Are there going to be that many palm trees? And if the answer is yes, let's put that in the vision. If you're not sure, let's say at least this many, because it will always open you up to more. But don't put a number in there that is sort of so shooting the moon that no one can really believe in it. I just have to say the visual... None of you can see Lois right now, which is a shame in its own right. But she is like this pint-sized, energetic ball of joy. And there has never been a time for me where it's not delightful. She just said, oh, I looked those founders in the eye. And she does. She's just got this presence, even at her little, what, five foot three, five foot four stature. Four eleven and a half. Four eleven, four, 11 and, and a half. I was just giving not, you all the <laughs> So anyway, I had to give you guys the visual because it is she just man, someone with that size that can hold that type of presence. It is a joy to watch. But yes, I have to say, Jill, it was really funny. I was leading an offsite just last week here in Virginia and the executive director stood up and he was saying something and he said like, oh, I thought you said you wanted me to talk at this point. And I was like, yeah, and I also am going to tell you when to stop talking. And his like whole team cracked up, you know, and of course (laughs) he knows I'm on his side the whole time. I'm giving him a hard time. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, no, but really stop talking. So 
Yeah. Never have I seen when she did our leadership offsite for two days. We've got some big personalities. We did on our team. And I have never seen such a pint-sized person get so many very strong-willed individuals in line to do an activity when they had no interest at the moment. They just wanted to go drink some wine. So anyway, we have yeah. now taken a tangent, <laughs> but that is the joy of Lois doing this work with you is she just, man, gets people in line. It's She knows what's, what's ready and what's time and we do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, now that we've given everyone the joy of what it is like to work with you in person, I would love for everybody to get the amazing chance to work with you in person. And I'm sure some of you will take the opportunity to look Lois up and have conversations with her after this. But like you articulated so beautifully earlier on, this podcast for me is how can we get tactical resources to people so that they can do the work within their own organizations? So I challenged you before we got on, what is sort of the minimum viable vision, the MVV <laughs> that someone could yes. do with their team on their own. And so, you know, I said this at the beginning of the episode, guys, there is a downloadable available. You just click the link below the episode. But Lois, talk us through if someone's doing this on their own, I guess the two questions that come to mind for me first are who needs to be involved? It's a company vision. Who needs to be involved if they're going to be doing this type of work? And then two, where the heck do they even start? I'm going to come back to the who needs to be involved because there's a few different elements to it, but it's super important. So I'm going to start off with where do we even begin? And it's such a crucial question. So, you know, oftentimes people will sit down and say, okay, so we're here to talk about our vision, our visions in the future. So, okay, all right, let's get started. Let's talk about our future. And my approach is before we can even begin to think about where we are headed, we have got to understand how we got to where we are. Then we've got to really, really take stock of where we are now and truly understand that current state. And only then have we kind of peeled back enough layers, do we have enough context? Do we understand enough about the organization and its patterns to be able to then really look forward into the future? So that's one really important piece. If you're starting out and you're thinking about, okay, how do I actually start to have some of these conversations? The first conversations that I'm really going to encourage you to have are about how the organization has gotten to where it is now. What's the trajectory? What have been some of those biggest accomplishments? What have been some of the biggest obstacles? What's been the energy? You know, what have you guys lost along the way? What have you gained along the way? What are those patterns as you guys step back and connect the dots? What do you really see and what can you take away from just understanding how we got to where we are? And I will say that so often when I take teams through that exercise, through those conversations, some of them will say, I joined recently and now I have a better understanding of this company than I ever had, you know, just during the normal onboarding process. Because of course, the normal onboarding, like we got to get to, we got to get you going. We got to get you ramped up and doing your thing. And typically that doesn't involve really, really understanding kind of the origin and again, the trajectory. And then there's other people who will say, look at their colleague who's been there for years more than them and say, I never realized that you guys did this or went through this or, or this thing that we're dealing with this now, guys, like we've actually kind of done this before, right? Or whatever that might be. And it's just kind of taking a step back and really understanding that. So that's where I really, really recommend you starting. How did we get where we are? Then the next step is really taking stock of where we are now. And you know, Jill, there was somebody on your team who who he said it in a way that I repeat again and again. He said, we have to gain a true lens on our current reality. 
a true lens at our current reality. And that is so critical because if we go back to the GPS analogy, oftentimes I'll ask people, if you want to get somewhere, what's the first question Google is going to ask you? Most people will say your destination. But really, the first thing it asks you is, where are you now? Because even if you can put an exact destination down to the coordinates, if you say, I want to go to this target in this part of Austin, right? If you don't tell Google where you are now, it cannot give you anything. It can't possibly give you directions. And so that is why it's so critical for us to truly understand the current state, right? Not as we want it to be or wish it could be, but as it really is. And when people have a chance to take a step back, come up for air, really, really get on the same page about where things are now, that also really gives us critical, critical, critical context for understanding where we're going in the future. But it can be really cathartic for people to just say, I've been so in the weeds and so just in my own silo or doing my own thing that I just even haven't had a chance to really have this shared conversation about truly, truly, guys, where are we now? So that's the next step. You kind of transition from that. How do we get here? question and conversation to the where truly are we now really taking stock. And, you know, it's really important to note that we're not judging it. We're not saying it's good, bad, right, or wrong, how we got here, where we are now. We're just, again, looking at it as it is. We want to bring that curiosity to it. Now, of course, these can be very charged questions. They can bring up a lot of emotion. They can bring up a lot of passion in people, especially as the leader, the CEO, the founder, whatever the title might be. It's going to be super important to model that curiosity, that exploration, that kind of childlike wonder almost of like, man, this is fascinating. Even if it's fascinating that we really messed up in this huge way, you know, a year after we started or whatever, right? So that's just another important piece. And then once we have a really clear shared understanding of those two elements, then we're really ready to start to point ourselves toward that future. And that's where you really want to decide on the time horizon. And I always tell people, don't think about it too hard. Is this a three-year vision, a five-year vision, a one-year vision? What is it? Typically teams, they know. I have had teams that kind of debate it back and forth and the implications. And and I'm like, we're kind of overthinking it here. You know which one makes sense for you. And again, you might be sitting there and being like, I'm in an industry that changes every three days in huge major ways. So I like the thought of a three-year vision seems absurd to me. So much is going to change. Why would we even create a vision? Hopefully, some of this conversation has helped us understand that that's exactly why you create a vision, because there is going to be so much uncertainty along the way, and this helps you sort of navigate it. Then the next step is to really ask the team, what are we looking at? If we can't even begin to fathom three years from now, that's fine. A one-year vision can be a great place to start. But I also would say I worked with one company who they'd always done their kind of strategic planning. They hadn't done a vision before, but they'd done their planning on one-year cycles. And so they were just like, this is such a new process. Let's just start with one year. Great. We, we did a one-year vision and then we were ready to do their three-year vision. Once they kind of got it and were able to, to really work with that, then they realized, okay, now we're ready. And the feedback from the team was, okay, now, I mean, I can see where we're really headed. We have, we've given ourselves enough time to really create some incredible, incredible things that are still close enough where I feel like you know, they're not too far out. So I never recommend a 10-year vision, you know, or something so far out in the future that it just feels like I can't even go there in my head. That's the next step. Once we have that specific time horizon, then we can start to say, okay, what are our absolute non-negotiables for that date? Again, that's why we want to figure out the date before we talk non-negotiables because five-year non-negotiables are really different than three-year non-negotiables. So we really get clear on 
what are those non-negotiables? What are the negotiables, you know? And even that discussion oftentimes brings up really, really important conversations. The one company that I mentioned that came up with this really, really bold metric that was not only super inspiring, but really strategically sound came up in that non-negotiable question. It just kind of came up and then everyone was like, we've never said that number, but we can totally hit that number. And when we, you know, shared it back with the whole company, it was just this ignition of excitement around it. Again, not only because it was a, a really exciting milestone that they knew they, that they were going to hit, but because they knew they could absolutely make it happen. They were going to need to stretch. They were going to need to do a lot to get there, but they could make it happen. So that's a non-negotiable conversation. And then what I always recommend doing is having everyone on the leadership team, you know, including again, CEO, founder, executive director, whatever the title might be, and the rest of their leadership team to write. And I just put five minutes on the timer and say, all right, it is March 30th, 2027 or whatever it might be. And we're so proud of what we've created together. And then I just have them write. And to hear people go around the room and read those out, it's incredible. And it can be really, again, cathartic for the leader of the company to feel like, okay, wait, other people care about this as much as I do? Or oh my gosh, they said this in a way that I never could figure out how to actually articulate it. And they just said it so beautifully just by stream of consciousness writing without editing or without trying. It just kind of came out. Or, you know, sometimes somebody will write something and it might draw some laughs and be like, ha ha, you know, so, and then we might kind of look at it closer and say, you know what, there's something really important here. And it also, if there's some really clear misalignment on the team, you're also going to see that come up. So that's not a really important piece. And then you kind of have that starting point. You have the non-negotiables. You've talked about some specific metrics and milestones. You have the language that brings that narrative to it. And now you've got those working pieces that you can bring back into, again, those three pillars. And that's how you bring it all back together. The last thing that I will say about this is if you're embarking on this with your team, it's incredibly important to create a time box around this process because it can be the never-ending story of vision. And especially if you're somebody who either is a natural writer, so you just want to keep writing and writing and tweaking and wordsmithing and tweaking and wordsmithing, it can go on forever and ever. Or if you're not a natural writer and that just feels like a lot to even get yourself to get your mouse on the page and see it blinking and really turn it into that vision. There's no such thing as a perfect vision. It's it's not like it's diminishing returns, right? After a certain point, it's, the vision isn't going to be more powerful just because you wordsmithed it through 18 different drafts. So give yourself a two-week timeline from when you have that leadership offsite and you gather everyone's to putting it in a finalized document, right? Bring it all back together. Use the powerful language that your team came up with naturally. Speak to those metrics that you came up with with the non-negotiables. And then share back with your team. Make some edits. Again, give them one week. Let's get feedback. Let's make edits. Let's finalize this thing. Because until it's finalized, people do not mentally turn the corner to starting to make it happen. Even if they start talking about action steps in their head, they're still in editing mode. It's not finished. It's not finalized. It's still in draft. And I'm like, I want you to seal that thing, change it from a Word or a Google Doc to a PDF. And now let's start moving. This is not to get you to vision for a year. This is to get you to a vision in a very, very condensed amount of time and then start living the vision as soon as humanly possible. I know that was a hard step for us, for our team. We, we were, but it was so important because once it was finalized, like you said, our brains shifted. It was like, okay, now it's time to take this to the company and to start getting to work. And that is the most important part of the whole thing. So that makes complete sense. Absolutely. So 
for who should be involved, I'm going to answer it sort of broadly in how I work with an organization. And then I want to make a footnote if you're doing this on your own. I don't want you to feel like, oh, well, we can't do it if X, Y, Z. So just with that caveat first. So one of the things that is often so different about the kind of process that I'll take a, a team through than what they've done before is that, you know, if you think of a pyramid, very often in the past, they've always done their vision or their plan or whatever they call it. It starts at the top of the pyramid. The founder or the co-founders or whoever is at the top of the organization rents an Airbnb or goes to a, an offsite. They come up with a vision. They cascade it to the leadership team. Leadership team cascades it to the employees. And that makes sense, right? That's kind of how it's always been done. When I go in and what I absolutely recommend is we totally flip the pyramid. So we want to make sure that we are gathering insight from everyone in the company. Now, Again, that can sound like, are you kidding me? But you know, an organization, they were one part of a huge corporation and we, I was just working with one organization within that big company. And you know, they had 250 people on their team and we reached out to all 250 people. And we did that through a survey and it had five questions. So it's not like we're sitting down and having half an hour interviews with everybody, but it's really critical. A, that's an opportunity for the leader of the company to say, Hey guys, this is what we're embarking on. And it starts with you. There is so much insight and the perspectives that you have as the boots on the ground or whatever you want to call it. You're the closest to the customer. You are the closest to seeing what actually changes day to day in the workflow, right? You guys have unmatched insight and perspective that is critical to us understanding and having more context about how did we get here? Where are we now? Where are we going? So the survey questions, again, there's just five, but they really map to there's a question about how we got here and they're sort of thoughts on that. There's a question about where we are now. There are thoughts on that. There's a question about where we're headed. And there's a question about that. So again, it's not just sort of, oh, how you feeling in general about being an employee here. It's it's very directly tied to what we want to be able to take to the next step. So then, you know, we compile all of that and we get some really critical insights, which again, bring up things. For one instance, one organization I worked with, there was a lot, a lot of feedback in the survey about they went remote during COVID and they were starting to come back and people were having some trepidation around that. And the leadership team, they knew it was a thing, but they didn't know that it was such a thing. Not just because of, oh, we were remote now or not, but what people felt like they felt so trusted. They felt so empowered. They felt so grateful that their leadership had allowed them to go fully remote and what it meant to go back. They were really they were thinking about that on a deeper level rather than just, am I working from my home office or working from the office? And the leadership team really didn't know that going into it. So there's really important insights. It's just one example, but that's another critical piece. And now everyone knows, we know not everyone's going to respond to the survey or whatever it might be, but they know they had a chance. We asked them and said, we want your voice to be heard. This is your opportunity. Of course, it's anonymous. The other critical piece, and Jill, I know that you are such a proponent of this as well. We got to share all that back with the company all of it. So if, yes, we do a compilation, we do a summary and people say, oh, well, like, if we share all of the responses with people, people won't read it. Okay. If they don't read it, they don't read it. I guarantee you there's going to be some people who skim it. And I guarantee you there's going to be a few of those people who absolutely go through and read it, right? Because that's what they're fascinated with, or that's what they, they really are so curious. They want to really understand how this company ticks. So that's that piece of it. Then we bring that to leadership team. The leadership team now is able to take that perspective and utilize that in those conversations about how do we get here? Where are we now? Where are we going? So in that leadership team group, you know, sometimes in companies, there's like the leadership team and there's sort of an inner circle. I always recommend the full leadership team or even one layer out from that. 
So we get the survey responses, we share them back with everybody, and then it's we're able to bring that and the leadership team has gone over those. I always recommend the leadership team really does read through the responses. I mean, this is gold. We are hearing directly from people in our team about their perspectives on all of this. And then from there, as we go into those conversations about how do we get here, where are we now, where are we going? We do what I think of, I always call it like survey touch point. So, okay, guys, we're talking about all of this. Let's literally pick up the compilation and say, we talked about these things and how we got to where we are. Everyone else on the team talked about this. We actually never mentioned that. Let's talk about that. That may not be super front and center in our minds, but it's clearly front and center in everyone else's minds, or it's a great validation of this is really neat. Like what we talked about is so in alignment with what they were thinking as well. And then we do that at every step along the way. Going back to who we want to be involved in that leadership team section, you know, sometimes teams have leadership team and they kind of have an inner circle. What I recommend is that it's the leadership team and even sometimes the layer out from the leadership team. There was one company that I worked with that again had, you know, as we did the survey, they they kind of had gotten a lot of feedback that the managers were such a critical part of that organization because they were still relatively small, but they didn't get a lot of say. And so the leaders hearing that from survey recognized, let's bring them in for the first time. Let's bring them into this conversation. So leadership team plus that first layer out. And not only was it incredibly insightful and so, so important, everything they brought up, when we ran around at the room at the end of the day, they said, it feels really validating to know that I had a spot at this table. So for some organizations, that's going to make sense. For some organizations, it's going to make sense just to do that, the larger leadership team. But I don't recommend just doing the inner inner circle because again, the leadership team is ultimately going to, we got to make it happen altogether. So we want people to be part of that conversation. I've done it with 20 people in that where are we now? Where have we been? Where are we now? Where are we going? So it's definitely possible with a bigger group. And then, you know, I've done it with seven and 10 and 12, that kind of thing. Then when you're getting into the, okay, let's now actually take what we came up with and distill that down. That's when maybe that's just the inner circle really kind of making those final decisions. Maybe some really, you know, different things came up and that's the time to, to really make those final calls about what really makes it into the vision and what doesn't make it into the vision or what do we want to change? That's a great time for whoever the book stops with in the company. It's up to them to really kind of make those decisions. That gives you sense again, flipping the pyramid. But then when we roll it back out, now it's not a surprise of, oh, the leadership team has just been locked away in an ivory tower for, you know, a week in Malibu eating delicious salads. It's, hey, you guys have been part of this from the start. We've kept you updated all along the way. You heard the survey results. You knew the next step. And now we're really excited to bring you back in uh, to show you everything that has come to be. And it all started with you. So that's the methodology that I like to use. Thank you for breaking that down. I, having gone through the work with you, having seen you go through the work with other companies, I know that it's a pretty intensive process. It's an incredibly worth it process. But I'm also guessing that people right now hearing you are both incredibly intrigued by this and potentially a little bit overwhelmed. So what I really want to do is have you back again for another episode and kind of dive into some of the like FAQs and some of the like things that people may come up against. I already have like a list of four or five questions in my head about like, well, how do we do this if X, Y, Z? So I'm guessing I'm not the only one. I would love to have you back for another episode to talk more about that. I mean, that is why 
I wanted to have this conversation. I mean, you know, I make you have this conversation with everybody. And now it is recorded so I can send them this instead of making you sit down and and have this conversation over and over again, which I know you are always happy to have. I love it. And it makes me so excited too. I mean, this is what I literally feel like I'm here on the earth to do. And I could talk with you about it until the cows come home. So I'm just so grateful that I got this chance to be here with you. I'm so honored to be on this episode. And I, like you said, I really hope this helps people take this from being a very nebulous concept to being something they they know so much more about now and are equipped to, to go on and implement within their companies and their own personal lives. Oh, yes. And join us back. So two weeks from now, when the new episode goes live, Lois is going to be back with me. We're going to talk all about some of the tips and tricks, some of the roadblocks that you might face, some of the resistance that you might come up against, and how you can really push past all of that. So we will see you all back here very soon. Thanks, Jill. Looking forward to it. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters. Mm